0: Well, good morning. Great to see you this morning. Glad that you are here. It is uh, me to be here. Uh, Sandy was, it uh, uh, typically comes at 11 o'clock, but she surprised me last night, and she was here for the five o'clock service last night. So uh, it really is, uh, when Neil mentions it's a friendly place, it, it really is like family. I know so many of you uh over the years and uh you're so good and so gracious to me uh i friday afternoon i had a bone density scan uh it was uh 12 85 year old ladies and me were the three of us in there and uh, i got out and my phone uh was all messed up lighting up and it was a text from jamie saying call me as soon as possible. And so that's, I don't handle those, I don't like that. So I call him and he said, can I call you back? If I call you back in five minutes, will you answer? Because I don't like to talk on the phone. I don't typically answer the phone. And I said, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I'm kind of doing you a favor here, but I'll wait. Uh, So he sounded very, very harried. And uh, he got on the phone, and he said, listen, uh, Kim dropped me off. He, he and Kim were supposed to drive back and get in here, I think, tomorrow or the next day. And he said, Kim dropped me off in Traverse City, so this was Friday, because I'm coming back to do a, a memorial celebration on Saturday. I'm in Traverse City, and I am stuck. Uh, Chicago's rained in. I can't get out. Can you do the memorial service for me? Will that be too much for you with the services and all the stuff? And I said, you know, Jamie, for you, I, I'd, I'd walk through hell for you. So I can do anything you want me to do, Jamie. And um, I texted him this morning. So he did not get out of Traverse City Friday night or Saturday morning or Saturday noon or Saturday night. He just texts me, he's in the middle of a three-hour layover at O'Hare. What a great place to be. You can pick up a little $25 sandwich and have a blast and just <laughs> knock yourself out. So if I was Jamie, I'd be so angry and so frustrated, um, and, and so I, his lost my gain. So I had an opportunity to be here all day yesterday and be with you this morning, And when I was here last time, I just took, picked up in the middle of the series you were in. But as Neil points out, it's a summer series, so they're all one-offs. You can do whatever you want. And uh, I decided to go old school. Uh, I decided to go back to the basics. I I don't know if you felt it, but there was a certain electricity in the air yesterday. It's just five weeks till college football starts. So I mean, how great is it? This is so good. And and when you get to football and you think of them coming back, uh, I always think of kind of the classic Vince Lombardi when he would bring the, the Packers together reportedly do this at the first meeting every year and he would uh, say, gentlemen, what? This is a football. football. And Max McGee, one of the old veterans, uh, was on to this trick after about the eighth year. And so in came Lombardi and said, gentlemen, this is a football. And Max McGee shouted, not so fast, coach. Uh, So I want to go. This is one-on-one basic for us. If you have Bibles, open them to Psalm 23. Now, for many, when you first hear that, you go, why is he doing a funeral message? Interestingly enough, it was not until the early 1900s that in the common book of prayer or in the Episcopal Church, uh, of the United States uh, uh, preparation for funerals that Psalm 23 was included in that what I hope I have 38 minutes and 47 seconds what I hope is that when you walk out of here you realize Psalm 23 is not about dying Psalm 23 is about living uh, I, I need to thank uh, two people Catherine Grady, Katie Grady, as some call her, who did all the PowerPoint and all the work, and and she was so great. She is so gracious. She is a real pro. I've worked with her uh, every time I've come out on just getting stuff done, and she's very patient. And then yesterday with Amy, Amy's the one who's in charge of making all of these graphics tie together. And, and she sat with me yesterday and let me move things around. And, and she follows along. And, and you are so fortunate to have just staff like that who work behind the scenes. So on a Sunday, it's seamless for you. These are two pros. And, and they were so gracious. And then I asked Catherine, because uh, I, I know Jamie does an outline. And I don't typically do that. But I wanted to print out for you what's in the bulletin today. Uh, I believe, and, and this is me, and, and it's funny, when something's important to you, you want it to be important to other people, so I want this to be important to you. I want this to be something that you put on the refrigerator or put in your Bible or, or keep in your purse or it's in your laptop or you laminate it in it somewhere because I want you to see the richness of this psalm. And what indeed is yours? Now, just by way of background, there are 150 chapters in the Psalms that make it the longest book in the Bible. Half of them are written by David. Psalm 90, written by Moses. Two of the Psalms were written by Solomon and then a variety of other individuals and groups. But of all of those 150 Psalms, there's no question Psalm 23 is the most familiar. When you look at that sheet and then as we go through it today, but the reason I wanted to give you the sheet is I know me well enough to know that I won't get through this whole list. Okay, Psalm 23 verse 1 is really familiar. The Lord is my shepherd I shall not want. Now I want to suggest to you that the rest of this psalm is really an exposition of that. And, and, and I don't want to add to or take away from Scripture. I want to be careful. But here's what I want you to see. You could write in your Bible or on your sheet, before that first word of the first verse, you could write the word because or since. So all these things on this sheet are true. Since the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And then all these things that you're familiar with. And I've kind of summarized at the end of each line. Because the Lord is my shepherd, I have relationship, and I have supply, and I have rest and refreshment and healing, and guidance, and purpose, and there'll be testing, but I'll have protection, and his faithfulness, and discipline, and hope, and consecration, and abundance, and blessing, and security, and here's something pretty cool, and I'll have him forever." So those are yours. So you may be sitting here today saying, wow, I didn't realize that. I'm with a guy not long ago, and he's on his phone, and he's working this thing. And I'm saying, man, that is so cool. That is really cool. And he said, I'll bet you have it on your phone. And I said, I don't know. And he said, well, what kind of phone do you have? And I said, well, It's black. Uh, I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know it has an apple on it I don't know so he said can I see it I said sure and I gave him my passcode and, and he goes and he punches it in and when he was all done what I had admired on his phone was in fact on my phone I just didn't realize it I didn't access it Here, here's what I want you to get this stuff if the Lord is your shepherd, this is yours, and you have it. You may be unaware of it. It may be you haven't accessed it for a while, but it's there, and it's real. The Old Testament tells us that David was a shepherd of a few sheep, that all of that thought and training probably spills over into this psalm. One author writes this, and it's speculative, obviously. One day, as David was watching his sheep, the idea came to him that God is like a shepherd. He thought of the incessant care that sheep require, their helplessness, their defenselessness. He recalled their foolish straying from safe paths, their constant need for a guide. He thought of the time and patience it took for them to trust him before they'd follow him. He he remembered the times when he led them through danger. They huddled close at his heels. He, David, pondered the fact that he must think for the sheep, fight for the sheep, guard them find them pastures, quiet pools. He remembered their bruises and scratches that he bound up. And he marveled at how frequently he had to rescue them from harm. Yet not one of his sheep was aware of how well it was watched. Yes, he mused, God must be very much like a shepherd. So I want to unpack that in a minute. But here's a really important statement. I, I, I've got on my notes, I've got words like key, huge. i got arrows, red marks. Okay, look at this single statement. It's one thing to say the Lord is a shepherd. It's another to say, here's the key, singular personal pronoun, he's my shepherd. It, it's not to say that we know the Lord because he is this shepherd in some sort of vague, universal way. If you are here today and can say the Lord is my shepherd, all this truth, and and, and I feel comfort just as I read you some of these words and we work through it, I I can feel, I can see myself, I have this picture of, of here's the shepherd holding the sheep, here's Jesus holding me he's my shepherd is he yours and I say that's not automatic we had a wonderful memorial celebration yesterday and one of the points and and maybe the largest point that Vera wanted to make and the family wanted to make is that heaven is not accessed just because we die Not everyone dies and goes to heaven, though we hear it all the time. I've been to some funerals of some real scoundrels, And and inevitably, the worse they are, the faster they say, well, he's in a better place. Well, maybe given the fact it's 130 degrees here, he's in a better place. I don't know. I, I don't think so. It's the tape that you saw, the message from from Jamie as, as she was speaking and talking about for years she'd been around church, but she'd never become a Christian. That was my story. I was raised Catholic grade school, high school, college. I was educated by the most misnamed group of people on the planet, the Sisters of Mercy. I mean, they were violent, angry little ladies. And I was their nemesis. I mean, I was—I wasn't the kid you wanted. But I was around church all my life, and we went to church, and we went to church almost. Day. My dad was a daily at church all, all of his life, and, and that's what—it's ha- called religion. At some point in our life. We come to the understanding that things are a mess, okay? You don't need to write this down. You ought to know this by now, okay? The world's a mess. The country's a mess. The state's a mess. The county's a mess. The town's a mess. Your house is a mess, okay? And not to get, you're a mess, and that's called sin, And when we sense something is wrong, our typical response is to try to fix it. The Bible tells us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but the free gift of life is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Not in Bible study, not in church, not in being good, because you can never be good enough. Your sin has separated you from God, but Christ died so you can have eternal life if I simply believe in him. Now, at this point, some of you are going, I don't get it, or I don't understand it. Well, when this service is over, there's going to be some men and women in the front here of the room. Uh, This church exists for the purpose of explaining the reality of that to you. But what I want you to feel at this moment is not one second of comfort from me. I'm about to say some very comforting things that are true for the people who can say, the Lord is my shepherd. If he's not, this isn't for you. Listen in so you understand what you're missing, but don't draw comfort from this. If I go back to verse 1, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Now, I want to take this picture all the way through. I don't know a thing about sheep and shepherds other than what I've read. I'm from Iowa, and so a lot of agriculture around me But it was really smelly and dirty and lots of germs and not my deal. When I moved down to Phoenix in 1975, I got hired by Motorola, who at the time was the largest employer in the state, 55,000 employees. And I sold two-way communications. And so one of the things we sold were the precursor to your cell phones. They were car phones, trunk-mounted car phones. There was a box about almost about this size that went in the trunk, cables up to the to the front, and there we would mount a headset like a phone. Now, uh, those of you, this will be new information, just to give you a perspective, that phone cost three thousand dollars. To use the phone, the first minute was $2. Every minute after was a dollar. So they saw Iowa, and they said, we're going to give you agriculture. So they sent me to the Southeast Valley, and I didn't know what to do. And there was a guy in the office, and he said, our best customer is Dwayne Dobson. Call Dwayne Dobson. So if you know Dobson Ranch, Dobson Road, Dobson. It's that Dobson, Dwayne. So I called Dwayne, and I said, hey, I'm the new Motorola guy, love to meet. He said, great, love it. I said, how about tomorrow breakfast? He said, all right, I get all the guys at the ranch house at 4 o'clock. And I said, all right, why don't I meet you at 8 for lunch? (laughs) Uh, um, 4 o'clock, So I'm just just coming home at 4 o'clock. I don't know about that. (laughs) Well, if you went down to what's Price and Arcadia, Dobson had a bunch of sheep down there. and It was my first exposure to them, but I didn't learn much. But I've, I've read a lot about sheep, and here's what I've learned. Number one, okay, and, and, and so can I make the connection, okay? If, he, if he's the shepherd, you're a sheep, okay? Sheep are dumb. You'll see dog trainers and horse trainers and down there on the freeway, dolphin trainers. You're never going to run into a guy. What do you do? I'm a sheep trainer. (laughs) You're never going to find one. They don't exist. Number two, they're defenseless. No claws, no fangs. They can't outrun you. Number three, they are amazingly dirty and smelly. And that wool is matted down and filled with pests. Number four, they're stubborn. Isaiah writes, we all have wandered like sheep, each gone his own way. So we're always, number five, getting lost. And six, they have a mob mentality. I was reading a story where a guy was saying that a friend of his had pulled up, he had a little flock of sheep, and the guy had a chihuahua, and the chihuahua jumped out, I don't know that these are the right words, and caused a stampede, I don't know if sheep stampede, but it sent them all running. So here's, here's what I want you to see, and this is not meant to be mean, this is just to deal with the truth your sheep, here's you, me, us. We're dumb, defenseless, dirty, stubborn, always lost with a mob mentality. And what we need desperately is a shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. I I won't go my own way anymore. Jesus says in John 10, I'm the good shepherd. My sheep know me, and I know them, and they hear my voice. So that's a long introduction to set this up, to set this picture up. We may not get all the way through it, <clears throat> but if we just get verse 1, can we go back to that? I think I changed order on Amy, but if we go back to that, the Lord is my shepherd. There's that relationship. It's unbreakable, the relationship. I shall not want... Now, on the surface, that seems to not line up with my experience. Let me give you a couple of the other paraphrases. The message The Lord is my shepherd, I don't need a thing. The New Living Translation The Lord is my shepherd, I have everything I need. Now, now there's what he's saying. As you hear this, here's what God is saying to you and me. You right now have everything the shepherd thinks you need for right now. It, it doesn't mean that there won't be times that, that there are, at least in your own feeling, that, that things are, are, are going to be exactly like you want them. I, I, I wrote, David is not suggesting that as a follower of Christ, we guide through life without challenges or difficulties or hardships. The Apostle Paul writes in 2 Corinthians. I just thought I'd throw that in. <laughs> Second, I know, can't let it go, man. <laughs> Got to give it up. 2 <laughs> Corinthians chapter 4, verse 8. Now, this is Paul, the Apostle, talking about his condition autobiographical. I'm reading from the message. He's writing to church at Corinth. You yourselves know that we're not much to look at. We've been surrounded and battered by troubles, but we're not demoralized. We're not sure what to do, but we know God knows what to do. We've been spiritually terrorized, but God hasn't left our side. We've been thrown down, but we're not broken." God is not saying everything is gonna be smooth and easy. One of the problems with this message is that there's two extremes in the room. Some of you right now are going, I could have stayed home, because it's never been better. Life is cruising along, deals are closing, my relationships are great, I am sailing along. Others of you are down here in a valley going, it's never been worse. It was everything I could do to get here today. Well, I've got the same message to both of you. This too shall pass, okay? If you're here, you're going here. If you're here, you're going here. That's the nature of life. But here's the comfort, you have the good shepherd. Two things to remember, number one, the Shepherd is greater than what you don't have. You don't have that car, you don't have that promotion, you don't have that house, you don't have that cabin. You don't have that spouse, you do have that spouse. <laughs> the Shepherd's greater than what you don't have. You, you see it as a deficiency. The Shepherd says, we'll, we'll get to it sometime on my time. Here's the other thing, number two, the shepherd is greater than what you do have. The shepherd… these are just notes I made. The, The shepherd is greater than the cancer, or greater than the loss of a loved one, or greater than the death of a child, or greater than a rebellious child, or an absent dad, or a business challenge. The shepherd knows what you need. I I don't have to gain his approval. Uh, Sandy and I have been married <coughs> for 50 months. And um we're at dinner. And I and I I'm trying to talk. I'm I'm working. I, I don't Sandy's not here so it's easier to tell this story. Um <laughs> I, I I'm I'm really working at being a, a good husband. So we're we're Eating, and I said to her, "I love you." And she said, "Why?" <laughs> I, I don't. I don't know. I I, I got to go to Walgreens and get a card or something because I I'm, I'm out of I'm out of answers. I don't have the an answers. I don't know. It's not a discussion. I was just trying to be nice. I don't know. I don't. I, 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 and so I said, All right, gather yourself. You can handle it. Don't say pretty, she is pretty. But I said, don't go that, it's superficial. So I said, I, I, I love you because you're you're smart. And she said, would you love me if I was stupid? And I said, yeah. I don't think we'd be here if you were stupid, but that's a whole different But but here's what she was responding to. Anytime we talk about love, it's transactional. I love you if, I love you when. If you drive around town right now, there's cardinal gear everywhere. All they need to do is lose three games, and it'll all be bears and eagles stuff in a month. I mean, that's that's the nature of it. The shepherd, here's what I want you to say, don't bring that to the shepherd. The shepherd loves you and wants what's best for you. The shepherd provides you everything you need. Now, I get anxious, so somebody's offered this insight. The key to this is to meet today's problems with today's strengths. Don't start tackling tomorrow's problems until tomorrow. You don't have tomorrow's strength yet. You have enough for today. I get ahead. What about this? What about that? What if this? What about that? I mean, there is so much in the world. I, I, I am so... We just had two weeks of conventions, which does not settle my soul. Huh? Well, well, what if he wins? What if she wins? What if they win? What? If, I don't know. I don't know. God saved me in 1980. It was a presidential election. And every four years, I've had to give myself the same lecture. God's in control of who's in control. Now, I'm not saying it's not important. I'm not saying I don't care. I, I, I don't, I, I don't want to talk to you about it. If, if you're going to send me an email about this, put on the subject line, election 2016, so I can delete it right away. Okay? <laughs> I don't want to have to read it. I don't know. I'm just saying God's in control of this. But, but that's big in your own life. God's in control of that meeting tomorrow, that relationship. And I don't have to start living to tomorrow. So we'll talk more about it in a second. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Verse 2, he makes me lie down in green pastures. That's rest, he leads me beside quiet waters, that's refreshment. I pulled these stats out, let me see if I can find them, I pulled these stats out the other day on uh, 70 million people in this country have insomnia, it, it, it's gigantic. It causes $70 billion in lost productivity. 64% of teens say the reason they have bad grades is insomnia. I don't know if I buy that. (laughs) The most severe cases of insomnia occur between the ages of 30 and 40. 50% of those over age 65 have it, they can't get any rest i can't sleep it goes on and on and on i meet with two groups of people all the time older guys so i don't know what older. i mean that's fifty five and older and our comf- our conversations are all the same what's your psa did you get your colonoscopy you know my hand hurts your hand hurts you shouldn't see my knee i mean we have the same conversation every day okay? and all these guys do is Watch Fox News complain and buy gold. That's all they do all day long. I'm sick of those guys. And then I hang around with these younger guys. So I'm going to say 30 to 40. And every conversation with them is the same. I'm so tired. I'm so exhausted. And I want to go, you know, working like, what, 32 hours a week? But I, I, I get it. Yeah. And I'm not doing a good job at home. I'm not doing a good job at church. I'm not doing a good job. Here, here, here's that, that rest. Jesus says in Matthew 11:28, 28, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Pooped. Pooped in a religious sense, Peter says it this way, 1 Peter 5, cast, deposit all your anxiety on me. Look at this word. This is cool. I read this verse a lot of times and didn't get it all connected. Cast all your anxiety on me. Why? Because God cares. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down. Rest. It's not grazing. It's literally to stretch out. He provides me that rest in the middle of this. Now, sheep are timid, fearful people. People are timid, fearful sheep is what they are. And, and they will not rest if there's fear, if there's friction um, uh, among the, the sheep, if there's pests, if they're hungry. The most frequent prohibition Jesus gives us in the New Testament is do not be afraid. He created you. He knows that we're naturally fearful people. If the market goes up real fast, we're afraid it's going down. If it goes down, we're afraid it's never going to go up. We hear a noise in the bedroom, and we look over on the wall, and we're pretty convinced Jeffrey Dahmer's there, and it's our sweater draped over a chair. We're afraid of all sorts of stuff. And the shepherd says, don't be afraid. He makes me lie down. He gives me rest. These timid sheep are easily frightened. You and I, easily frightened. But God, God says, don't be afraid. By, by the way, not because you're so strong, but because he is. Hebrews four sixteen. Therefore, draw near with confidence to him. And I'll make a pitch here for quiet. St. Augustine offered this observation. In its crowd, it's difficult to see God. Now, I don't want to be crotchety old man who's complaining about social media and cell phones. Having said that, let me complain about social media and cell (laughs) phones. But these phones, these phones are going to be the death of us. We're constantly connected. I read a study last week that said if the phone is just there, your brain is already split and engaged with it. It's it's that constant. Nobody can be alone. Sandy and I were just in Flagstaff for two weeks, and, and I said to her, I'm not sure why, but it seems so much quieter to just be alone. Now, I can be alone and be lonely, okay? It's not to be lonely. It's to be alone and be with God. To speak to him, that's prayer, and to let him speak to you, that's in this word. to to let these truths settle in. Let me, I've got nine minutes. Verse 3, he restores my soul. It's healing. He leads me. That is, he guides me. Every day, when I leave the house, or when I come home, or when I'm in the kitchen, right by the door, there's a little area that I'm sure Sandy would love to just clean out. But it's where I put my keys and my wallet. I don't really have a wallet. I got a clip that I used in a presentation somewhere. And my sunglasses, and they go right there. And there's a frame that Sandy had before we were married. And in it is Psalm 46:10. Be still and know that I'm God. I'm moving, I'm running, I'm worried, I'm panicked. I'm going to fix it. I'm going to come up with a strategic plan. I'm going to come up with a message. I'm going to execute it. And he's going, you know what? Those are all good. It's not anti-planning. But be quiet. And, and know that I'm God. James 4.8. Come near to God, and he'll come near to you. Relax. Relax. You're not in charge. He is. Listen to me, God says in Isaiah 55. Your soul will delight in me. When your words came, Jeremiah says, I ate them. I, I devoured this word. I rest in the midst of this. One author writes this, the single greatest safeguard which a shepherd has in handling the flock, is that he keeps them on the move. He leads them. He guides them. He directs them. He precedes them, prepares a place for them that will be safe. Now, verse 4, kind of a centerpiece After verse 1, kind of a centerpiece of bringing this to life, that it's a psalm about living, not dying. Psalm 23, verse 4, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, that's testing. I, I fear no evil. There's protection. You're with me. Your rod, your staff. Rod and staff are a picture of authority, of safety, of measurement. It's that staff that's used sometimes to to pull the little baby sheep close to his or her mom. Uh, The psalmist cries out in in, Psalm 124, verse 4, No one is concerned for me. I have no refuge. No one cares for my life. Sometimes it feels like that. But what God tells us is, no, the Lord is my shepherd. One author offers this insight. Our discomfort is God's doing. These ultimately are meant to be encouraging words. He hounds us. He hems us in. He thwarts our dreams. He foils our best laid plans. He frustrates our hopes. He waits until we know that nothing will ease our pain. Nothing will make life worth living except his presence. And then we turn to him, and he greets us, and he's been there all along. Rather than suffering and pushing it away, I begin to embrace it. Philip says in, in his translation of James chapter 1, that we take testing and welcome them as friendly intruders because they build our strength. And, and, and here's what I'm saying. I know it's counterintuitive. I don't want to suffer. But God uses that suffering. I've had a ton, and, and anytime you do this, somebody can always one-up it. But I've had a ton of physical problems. I had the the low point of my teaching ministry, many of you were here, right on this platform when I couldn't finish. Four months ago, I had prostate cancer surgery. My daughter, I have two daughters, they each have four kids. When Sarah had her youngest, McKinley, I said to Sarah, when she gets out of diapers, I'll be going into them. So every time I see her, I say, How's she doing on the potty training? She'll say, Dad, you're both right on schedule here. But I have all that, but in the midst of that, I've seen God work in extraordinary ways. Some some of the times you feel closest to God is in the midst of that that business difficulty, that relationship difficulty, That, that call from the kid that says, hey, there's this problem the scan that doesn't show what you want. Again, another author's insight. Pain, when properly handled, can shape life for greatness. History is replete with stories of those whose struggles and scars formed the foundation for remarkable achievement. In fact, it was because of their hardship that they gained what they needed to achieve greatness. Now, here's what A.W. Tozer says, It's a pretty bold statement. He said, it's doubtful whether God can bless a man greatly till he hurts him deeply. We want it smooth. I got it. But God says, these peaks and valleys are for your own good. And in the midst of them, here's what you're going to see. I'm your shepherd. I've got you. You're going to be okay. Yesterday at the memorial service was the cutest baby I've ever seen in my entire life. So right in the front. She was five months old. Juliana was her name, and and I and I said to her, the first girl I ever loved was named Julianne. and she smiled, and and I think it was gas. I I don't I don't I don't I don't think we were connecting or anything. But I, I I look at her and I'm thinking, here's this precious little kid And here's all the pain in life and, and I and I wanna save her from it, like with my own girls when they were that age. And, and, and they would say, I'm scared, Daddy, hold me, Daddy, hold me, Daddy. And and I did, but me holding them's not near as secure as Jesus saying, I'll hold you. He'll let go. I won't. Let's put a a bow on it. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Verse 5. And prepare a table for me before the presence of my enemies. Now, we don't have time to unpack that. But what he's saying is, here's the hope in a world that, I'm telling you, if you're looking for a person, place, or thing other than Jesus to put your hope and trust in, you will be ultimately disappointed. The Republicans aren't gonna save us, the Democrats aren't gonna save us, the Libertarians aren't, the Green Party's not. Closing this deal, getting that degree, those are all fine things, but my hope is in Jesus. He consecrates me. There's abundance. Look at verse 6. Goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. That's blessing. And security. Real security. And then, uh, uh, how great is the line that comes at the end, and that's forever. It's through all this life and into eternity. We said at the celebration yesterday that Randy took his last breath last Monday, his last breath on earth, but his first breath in heaven. And that's not wishful thinking. That's what the Bible teaches us. Let me close. There's one more quote, I think. And, and I need to remember this. God is never wrong. He's never rendered a wrong decision, experienced the wrong attitude, taken the wrong path. He's never said the wrong thing or acted the wrong way. I, I love this. He's never too late or too early. He- he's never too loud or too soft, too fast or so. He's always been and always will be right. So in spite of what you might feel at this moment, he's here in his control, and he is your shepherd. And the whole point of that is to give you comfort and peace in the midst of a really tough world. Will you pray with me? Troy's going to come. We have one more little bit of business to transact, and, and then we'll be done for the day. Father, thank you for these amazing truths. Put them in our life, in our heart, in our mind. and Remind us of what we know, that indeed you are our shepherd. And God, that everything is going to be okay. That you have things in control. God, thank you that it's not about us, but it is about you. We pray that to you in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.